Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Today's episode takes us all the way to Australia, and unlike a lot of topics we cover, this one didn't happen all that long ago. That's right, and here's the thing. We've covered people who have murdered dozens of people each, or in some cases many more, yet somehow today's episode is going to be one of our most brutal ones yet. Catherine Knight is known for the murder of her partner, John Price. The murder itself is truly horrific, but it is what she did afterwards that's going to haunt you. To give you an idea, she is known as the female Hannibal Lecter. So we're going to chime in with a quick warning for all of you. Today we're going to be talking about not just murder, but full out cannibalism and mutilation unlike anything we have ever talked about before. We're going to be covering a woman who is rather well known in Australia, and due to how graphic her crime was, we're surprised that more people actually don't know about her. So if the name Catherine Knight doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry, because it is about to. And for those of you who are familiar with her name, well, here we go. Woo! Catherine Knight was born in New South Wales, Australia on October 24th, 1955. Her mother, Barbara, was married at the time and had four sons before Catherine was born. She began to have an affair with a man named Ken Knight. Ken was a guy that had worked with her husband. The two of them were actually friends. Yikes. So, to say that Catherine's upbringing was dysfunctional would be an understatement, but it's safe to say that things were really, really rough from the absolute start of her life. The families lived in a very conservative town, and once word spread about the affair, the two were shunned by everybody in town. Ken and Barbara moved away, but her four sons did not go with them. Two stayed behind with their dad, while two lived with an aunt. Ken and Barbara had four kids together. Catherine was one of those children along with her twin sister, Joy. Barbara's first husband passed away in 1959, and two of her sons came to live with them. The family moved around a fair bit at the beginning. Ken Knight worked as a slaughterman, which meant that he killed livestock, and the family moved wherever he could find work. Eventually, they settled in Aberdeen in 1969, where Ken found consistent work at the local abattoir. Abattoir sounds so fancy. An abattoir is a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was not by any means a happy family. Ken Knight was an alcoholic and a violent one at that. He would regularly sexually assault his wife, sometimes up to ten times a day. Oh my god. Uh, Barbara would talk to her daughters about this, and she would talk to them about how much she hated men. Sometimes the children would witness their parents having sex right in front of them, too. It was unfortunately a very regular part of her life. So you can already see what a gnarly start Catherine it's Knight had to her starts life. so, so bad. So rough. Right out and the gates. the thing I want to point out that's, like, really terrible to even point out is, like, she didn't just, like, see her parents having sex. She saw him chasing her and yeah. assaulting her, like, multiple times a day. And then having her mom then turn around and basically explain to them exactly what was going on. Oh, yeah. Like, In detail. No, In graphic detail. Uh, while Catherine was, has never said that her father sexually assaulted her, she has spoken about being assaulted by numerous members of her family since she was 11 years old. That's absolutely terrible. Honestly, that poor girl, it was an incredibly violent place to grow up. For the most part, according to the expectations of pretty much everyone around her, Catherine did pretty well in school. That is when she was not flying into a rage and assaulting classmates and teachers. Catherine, from a young age, seemed to have two very different sides to her. She didn't have a lot of friends, and classmates remember her as someone who would often bully other kids. She wasn't really close with a lot of people at this point, but she was close with her twin sister and an uncle of hers. 
Unfortunately, the uncle took his own life when Catherine was young. She has made claims into her later years that she still sees his ghost. She assaulted children with weapons, and once a teacher acting in self-defense actually injured her. Catherine struggled with her grades, and it is reported that as a child she had trouble doing things like spelling her own name. Her intelligence was recorded as somewhere below average, but she did sometimes display good behavior in class. She was definitely a bully, but she didn't get into a ton of real trouble as a kid. Her family at this point was already pretty well known around town, and the majority of people didn't really like them. Unfortunately, the angry side of Catherine would take over more and more as she grew older. She eventually became someone that many people were afraid of. And that was before the murder. Now keep in mind that Catherine wasn't a one-off in her family. A huge number of her family members were known bullies and overall just really unpleasant and angry people. Unfortunately, Catherine would leave school at 15 years old unable to read or write. She went to work pretty much right after she dropped out. This is terrible, but unfortunately it was fairly common in the area. A lot of the kids were expected to start working as soon as they were considered old enough, and education wasn't something that was pushed by the majority of the parents to these kids. She found a job at a clothing factory, but it was one year later that Catherine would start working her dream job. So 16 years old and working her dream job? Good for her! What was her dream job? Cutting up awful at the slaughterhouse. Is it awful or awful? I was a vegetarian, I don't know these words. Um, so I've heard it both ways. If you're in England, I would say awful. But then, to an American, that sounds like awful. You know, like, oh, that's awful. This is all awful. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> Anyways, she was cutting up awful at the slaughterhouse. So basically, she was removing bone and marrow from the carcasses of all the animals. Which is like, what a dream aspiration to have. Like, that is not one of your aspirations when you play in The Sims. This, like, <laughs> this 16-year-old Australian girl just, like, cutting chunks out of meat. And you know what? If that's where it ended, I'd be like, you know what, girl? Live your best life. Good for you. Yeah. We, we can't all be rocket scientists. Like, some people have to be slaughterhouse workers, and that's totally cool. But... This story, I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if it didn't take a twisted turn. Oh, and many twists and turns it will take. So, I mean, many people follow in their parents' footsteps. And she did. She was very good at it, too. She absolutely loved it. They even promoted her pretty quickly, and her new role was to trim, cut, and bone the meat. And at this point, she was given what every young girl wants, her own set of butcher knives. Yay! <laughs> She would actually hang these above her bed, too. Like, she loved these knives. She did that up until she was caught. I just, like, that seems so dangerous. To fall on your head while you're asleep. Right? Like, actually, I was just talking to one of the girls I work with, and her friend had a um, picture frame that was hung on the wall above her, like, fall off and hit her in the head while she was, like, getting into bed. So, like, Catherine has, uh, I don't know, an armory on her wall. A full like, armory on her wall. Um, but her reasoning for doing this was so that the knives would always be there if I needed them. She absolutely loved these knives. And this place really brought out her ambitious side. She wanted to learn everything there was to learn about the slaughterhouse, and she would often visit different parts of the facility to see what they were doing. One of her favorite places to visit was where they butchered the pigs. Big, big red flag. Yeah, this, this woman is just one giant waving oh red flag. Oh my god. She even made friends with the old man who was in charge of slaughtering the pigs. And honestly, we're surprised this dude isn't the topic of a future episode. Her new friend loved slaughtering the animals, and they would often talk about how they would shake when they died, amongst a bunch of other heinous things. The slaughterhouse was a huge part of her life. Not only was her father employed there, but a huge chunk of the town was too. 
Aberdeen at this time only had a population of about 2,000 people, and at one point, around 600 of those people were employed there. Which sounds a bit like where I grew up. It's a little tiny small town in Alberta, except there, everybody works at the local lumber mill, not the slaughterhouse. I feel like I would rather, like, chop trees than chop oh, pigs. Oh, for sure. Ab- yeah. yeah, no, there's no part of me. And I'm not a vegetarian, I'm not a vegan, but I, I just like my meat to show up in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, so the slaughterhouse, they had so many workers that they actually built a place for people to live near the slaughterhouse. The Knight family ended up living somewhere that the locals referred to as Lover's Lane, an area of the living grounds that was reserved for young couples. Unfortunately, the rate of crime in this area was incredibly high. Not all, but a lot of the families that lived there were considered to be trouble. Somehow, despite all of this, the Knight family managed to really stand out as one of the worst there. They weren't particularly criminally inclined, but they still had a really bad reputation. They liked to cause fights and were known for being violent and rowdy. So either way, Catherine really enjoyed her job at the slaughterhouse. What a terrifying sentence. Uh, yeah, but seriously, she actually did great there. The industry was pretty male-oriented, but she still held her own. She grew up into a very tough woman who was not one to stand down when intimidated and loved to engage in all of the slaughterhouse floor talk that occurred. I don't even want to think about what no. slaughterhouse floor mm-hmm. talk is. Like, we've heard what people think locker room talk is. This sounds like so, so, so much worse. So much worse. She would actually even threaten to fight them with one of her many knives if they made her mad. Not surprisingly enough, no one would ever try to get in her way once the knives came out. We already mentioned it once, but she was seriously obsessed with these knives, and she loved her job. As she got older, she became more and more skilled with her knives. Not only that, her issues with anger would soon escalate and become more than just threats. She also got older and discovered just how much she enjoyed sex. And with the sex, she learned that it gave her power over people. And a fair warning, we're going to be talking about Catherine Knight and her very high sex drive a lot today. Yay for us, not uncomfortable at all. No, and and for our listeners, like how exciting for everyone. (laughs) But uh, honestly, it's a really important component to this story and it's going to help you understand her a fair bit more. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to think that when we're researching and you're writing that we don't add things that aren't important. So the amount... I feel like we had to read about Catherine Knight having sex and all that is, it's enough. I'm yeah, gonna... and there's there's books out there. You can certainly go find out for yourself if you're so inclined. Catherine Knight sex books. In 1973, at 18 years old, Catherine met the man she would marry, a fellow slaughterhouse worker named David Kellett. Their relationship was extremely toxic. David drank a lot and often got into fights. Catherine was known to step in whenever someone began to upset either of them, and she would threaten to fight them. He didn't romantically propose or anything like that. One day, they were just hanging out, and she told him that they were going to get married. Catherine believed that by this point in her life that she should have been married and getting ready to have kids like a lot of the other women in the area. She believed her biological clock was ticking and that she had better get started and do what women at that time were expected to do. So she basically bullied him into marrying her. He was a lot smaller than her and she was definitely an intimidating woman, even at only 18 years old. Yeah, he was a smaller fella, but Catherine was around six foot one. 
She would often look for partners who were much smaller than her, and she used her height as an intimidation tactic to get her way numerous times with multiple people in her life. The entire town knew her as a strong woman who liked to fight. She was known for having big hands and an even bigger punch. People didn't want to mess with her. He still really liked her, though, and he didn't want to lose the giant woman with a wild sex drive that liked to shoot guns and let him drink a bunch. <laughs> the two would sometimes have sex up to ten times a day. That is so much. That's too, that's too much. Who has the time? Right? Don't they? They're probably working long shifts at the slaughterhouse. Who has got time? Can you imagine, like, how stinky you're going to be after, like, a hard day oh, at the slaughterhouse? You know, I mean, Catherine's a particular character, so she's got kind of her own thing going on. But, like, I don't even like when a man smells like too much cologne. Like, it could be the sexiest cologne in the mm -hmm. world, but if there's too much of it, you're like, oh, no. So, like, can you imagine coming home smelling, like, basically blood and guts, to be crude? She probably it. liked it. Oh, I'm she, not gonna lie, she probably, yeah, she, she loves she, the blood, she loves the guts. It is true. And you guys probably are hearing this and you think I'm exaggerating, but just you wait. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the two married in 1975. So romantic. At the wedding, the couple arrived on a motorcycle that Catherine was driving with a very drunk David sitting on the back. Just picture this in your mind. I picture him being super wasted and her having to, like, hold him on yeah, to her or like, something. Yeah, she's, like, reaching back to, like, with her hold, big, yeah. big old hands. Oh, my God. Moments after arriving, Catherine's mother, Barbara, would say something to David that he would never forget. He said, The old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't even think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. So now imagine hearing that from the mother of the woman you're about to marry. Like... Oh, man. Like, when your mother, like, you know, they say, like, oh, she's got a face that only a mother could love. Like, Barbara was not fucking around. No, Barbara wasn't. And honestly, like, Barbara, if you look at some of the stuff that she did, like, she was no, like, spring she, chicken no. herself. And she was like, certainly not, like, a wilting daisy, like, no. oh, I'm so delicate. No, Barbara dealt with a lot of crap in her time, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. And I feel <sighs> like for her to say that Catherine is bad, that means even more. Because she's used to bad, and she's totally. her mom. Totally. And plus, yeah, she's her mom, and they live together I just yeah no that I to me I mean I know David was like shit-faced shall we say oh yeah and obviously very much beguiled by Catherine for the reasons we've mentioned but wouldn't that make you think be like ah oh, nah the old bird's just messing with me right exactly and you know what the thing is at this point he knew he knew she was a little oh, you know yeah. she liked to fight she liked to punch and uh yeah yeah well, maybe he was just too drunk to listen, or maybe he just really loved her. Either way, the two married, and things were rocky from the start. Now, like we mentioned, Catherine at this point was used to having sex up to ten times a day. Catherine wasn't a big drinker, but David certainly was, and he spent a couple of days leading up to the actual wedding, partying his ass off and getting drunk. So when the wedding night came... He was unable to perform to his usual standard. And what we mean by that is that he was only able to have sex with her three times. And then he fell asleep. And here's what's really messed up about this. Catherine was upset in part because she remembered her mother telling her that her and her father had sex five times on their own wedding night. The more she thought about it, the angrier she got. 
she jumped up on him and started choking him while screaming at him about how her parents had sex five times on their wedding night. I mean, like, she, she, we don't mean that she just, like, choked him and yelled. She was completely choking him out and hitting him while screaming about her parents on their honeymoon night. Like, the words, like, (laughs) parents on honeymoon night shouldn't exist. No. No, no, no. And, like, I'm from a very open family. My mom's a registered nurse. We were very open about sex education and all that kind of thing. But, like, do not bring my parents Mm -mm. into any of this. Please and thank you. That's, like, the last thing you should be thinking of on your honeymoon night is your parents' honeymoon night. Except Catherine was, like, laying there fuming. She's like, it should have been six. (laughs) Oh my god. So despite all this, David Kellett, he claimed that the first few years of the marriage were pretty decent, but all of that changed when Catherine got pregnant. She was not a happy pregnant lady. Her violence escalated during this time, and one evening David came home late from participating in a darts tournament. He had made it to the finals and was home later than she had expected him. She had a huge issue with him being late. She quote-unquote allowed him to go out, but he had to follow her rules. She would say that she didn't care that he went out or drank, but anytime he was later than he told her, she would completely freak out on him. She responded this time by burning all of his clothing and shoes. When he arrived home, she hit him so hard on the head with a frying pan that it fractured his skull badly. David was able to make it to a house nearby where an ambulance was called. The police wanted to press charges, but David would not allow it. He told them that it was an accident. He did not want to admit that his wife had nearly killed him that evening. In 1976, Catherine's first daughter, Melissa Ann, was born. After the birth, Catherine became more emotionally unstable. Her anger was a constant issue at this point, and she began to upset people at work with her behavior, often going into the pig room to kill animals on her own, despite the fact that this was not her job. Soon after, David Kellett, unable to handle the violence, finally left Catherine Knight. She did not handle this well, and we do want to point out that they were still really young at this time. It was said that she was seen pushing her baby in the stroller while violently shaking the stroller from side to side. She even picked the baby up and began to swing her around very quickly and very dangerously. Eventually, she was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital, where she was diagnosed with postpartum depression. She spent around two months there. Unfortunately, it didn't help her at all. Shortly after Catherine was released, she took little Melissa Ann and placed her on some railway tracks right before a train was due to arrive. Luckily, a man, only known as Old Ted, was nearby and he saw all of this. He rescued the young child, apparently, right before the train showed up. And after she dropped her baby off on the train tracks, if that wasn't crazy enough for you guys, Catherine then stole an axe and went into town with it. Oh my gosh. She threatened to kill several people then and there. People were so horrified and even hid in their houses. She was arrested and sent back to St. Elmo's Hospital, where she was able to sign herself out the next day day. All of this is horrifying. Oh my god. It's incredibly obvious at this point she's unwell and she needs serious help. But between her horrible upbringing and for those of you who aren't aware, pregnancy can really mess you up hormonally. All of this is just so extreme and the fact that this is essentially nothing compared to what she would eventually do is just jarring. Unfortunately for him, Catherine wanted David back desperately. She knew that he had gone to Queensland and that she needed a ride there. 
She grabbed her daughter as well as a large knife and some scissors. She went to the home of a young co-worker whose mother answered the door. Catherine told her that her baby was in trouble and that she needed help. The mother grabbed her own children and went to Catherine's house where she found her standing with a stroller. After Catherine realized that the woman had brought all of her kids with her, she reached into the stroller and pulled out one of her large curved knives. She cut her coworker across the cheek and then threatened to slice them all up. With her knife, she held them hostage and demanded a ride to Queensland to see David. She took this woman hostage. Yep, including the kids. They ended up being able to get away when they stopped for gas. The family locked themselves inside the office of the gas station and were trapped inside terrified while Catherine tried to break in. She then, and I swear to you, I am not making this up, stole the crutch of a one-legged man and used it to break the things around her. Oh my god, you can't write this. His nickname was Hoppy. Of course he was, because it's Australia and they have the best fucking nicknames. Yep, his nickname was Hoppy. Anyways, so she stole Hoppy's crutch and uh, broke into the office and held a knife to one of the children's throats. The police finally showed up and they convinced her to let the boy go. So then she eventually just tired herself out and passed out. She was tuckered after all her tired, day of activities. All tired. And what we didn't mention is the police had to like hold her off with like brooms and stuff. Yes, to, like, get her I to, had like, read call- that. Yeah. Yes. It's, oh my God. Uh, but she was finally apprehended and uh, she was sent to the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Shockingly enough, she did not face any charges for the assault on the family. I wonder if it's because they were scared of her. And that when she got out, because she's gotten out twice before now from psychiatric hospitals, they're probably like, she'll come for us. Just picture, it's, she is six foot one, redhead, built, giant hands, Yeah, she's strong, she is screaming, she stole yeah. the crutch of a one-legged man, which is just like, what the hell? And she's just like having an absolute tantrum. I'd be terrified. I don't care oh, if you're, that's horrifying. I consider myself like, probably stupidly, a pretty like unintimidatable person for the most part but i would not be messing around i would be like all right Catherine, whatever you want sweetie you can have it you really do just kind of let her tucker herself out i mean that's what they did yeah she's like a tasmanian devil yeah really oh my god when uh, she asked why she did what she did she said that her intention had been to find the mechanic who had just fixed david's truck she believed that if the mechanic hadn't fixed the truck that david would have never have left her or at least he wouldn't have gone as far she also told them that she wanted to kill david and his mother she had also found out that david had met someone else police phoned david and they told him what had happened he left his new girlfriend and along with his mother moved back to Aberdeen in order to support Catherine better. Mind-blowing, honestly. And she was eventually released into the care of both David and his mother. David was left feeling responsible for the whole thing. If I were his mother, I'd be like, David. What are you doing, David? No, David. (laughs) David, no. Like, Catherine's family, they actually accused him of being responsible for what she did as well. Mind you, Catherine did lie a lot about the reality of their relationship, and her family had a much different picture of the life that the pair was living together. They didn't even really know the truth about the assault on David with the frying pan. Oh my god. Because of all that, her family did not want her with David. They thought he was a terrible person and had no idea that he was being abused by Catherine. When David arrived to pick up Catherine, her mother Barbara began to berate him and tell him that he wasn't good enough for her daughter. He just sat there and took it. Barbara ended up choking David through the window of his truck. Catherine saw this and immediately punched her mother in the face and knocked her out. 
What? Yup. Oh yep. my god. After all this shenanigans, they relocated to Woodridge, which is a suburb of Brisbane, and Catherine secured a job at another slaughterhouse. Their second daughter, Natasha Marie, was born March 6th, 1980. And what's interesting is that her family really did believe her. They supported her no matter what, and even her kids would continue to stand up for her despite the fact that she was incredibly abusive to all of them. Oh, man. And honestly, it's awful to me because this is someone who clearly needs help. Oh, like she's sure. she's unwell and she's a danger to herself and especially to other people. Like she just does not care. No. She's a time bomb that is waiting to go off at this point and she's had multiple occasions where she's been institutionalized and she just left. And her family was completely fine with it. Unfortunately, the way that they enabled her would just make her behavior get worse as she got older. The couple would stay together for another four years until one day when Catherine left David, she moved back in with her parents in Aberdeen. Around this time, Catherine would injure her back badly at work and she'd have to go on disability. She moved away from the slaughterhouse worker housing and into government housing. Getting injured at work is really bad, but can you imagine how devastated she was that oh, she couldn't kill animals anymore? Totally, because essentially that's her dream job. She's, for all intents and purposes, probably in her mind, living her bestest life. Oh, absolutely. Having a whale of a time, getting out whatever rage she needs to get out on these poor creatures. And David. And David. And now she doesn't have that. She's probably just sitting there, like, looking at her knives, sad, and probably. just... Probably. Because I think, I would say, like... Her obsession with her knives is like a paraphilia, and I don't mean like, it, it's similar to like some people, it, people equate it to necrophilia, but it's not at all that. It's like the obsession with things that have something to do with death. She was in love with them. Yes. Like she, the, we want to keep stressing that, like these knives were, I, like these knives were her babies. Yes. Like she treated them better than she treated any of the people in her life. Absolutely. I would almost... I speculate that if, like, any of her partners would have said anything about the knives, she probably would have lost it a lot sooner, I think. I don't think they were ever allowed to say no, no to her about anything. So. No. she Ooh. Catherine Knight would not be a woman that you would say no to. Absolutely not. That was an absolute roller coaster, and that was only one of her relationships. Catherine was abusive to all of her partners in one way or another, and her relationships would always end terribly. In 1986, Catherine met 38-year-old David Saunders. David worked as a minor, and the relationship moved very quickly. Within just a few months of meeting, David, along with his two daughters, moved in with Catherine. By all accounts, David was a pretty decent guy. He didn't drink too often and was not at all violent towards Catherine. Something that's really important to understand here was that Catherine wasn't always violent or mean. She would often present herself as a very loving and doting woman during the beginning of a relationship, and that combined with her sex drive made her probably seem like a really fantastic partner at first. The honeymoon phase of this relationship didn't last long. It was around this time that Catherine's mother, Barbara, passed away. This began to set Catherine off once again. Soon enough, Catherine began to get angry and jealous in the relationship. During fights, she would kick him out and then take him back when they made up. It was all too much for David, especially considering his daughters were with him, and he moved back into his old apartment. Catherine Knight begged him to come back, and this is terrible. This is just oh, awful. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just brace Heads yourself. Up. I'm so sorry. Brace yeah. yourself. Sorry. 
We're apologizing like a couple of Canadians right I know, now, but, but I truly this mean this, sorry. Yeah. Um, shortly after he came back, she slit the throat of his eight-week-old dingo puppy just to show him what she would do if he ever cheated on her. Like, oh my god. I was just saying to Dina, like, off mic, I don't like using the term crazy bitch because nine times out of ten when a woman is quote-unquote crazy there's a man responsible for it but Catherine knight is a crazy bitch she's evil absolutely like she is rage rage in a person like she is just a ball of angry angry rage yeah and if that wasn't awful enough she showed up shortly after at her sister's house where her kids were carrying a shotgun and claimed that she had shot david which was not true. She eventually told them that she was just joking. JK. JK. Just a prank. No biggie. You have no sense of humor. You're so serious. I was just joking. (laughs) Catherine attempted to end her life shortly after, which brought David back to her. Classic. Unfortunately, Catherine once again found herself pregnant, and in June of 1988, she gave birth to her third child, a girl named Sarah. David put a deposit down on the house, and Catherine used money that she had saved from her workers' comp to help him pay it off. Every time I think about how inexpensive houses used to be, it just makes me sad in the worst way possible. Anyways, he paid off their house in full. To Catherine, this was her dream home. She decorated it by covering the entire house from floor to ceiling. And I say this being quite, I don't know, I have an eccentric, I have skulls in my house. I have a big bison skull that was given to me, but she covered her house floor to ceiling in farm tools, old animal traps, skulls, horns, and basically anything you would find in a scary old shed. Seriously, like, she absolutely covered the house. She even had, like, machetes and pitchforks and old leather jackets just hung up everywhere. Aesthetic. Beautiful. (laughs) The couple would continue to fight, and David left her once again. This time, she attacked him with an iron and stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. But when he took her back this time, he found that she had had cut up all of his clothing. At this point, he had had enough and went into hiding out of fear that she would try and find him. What can you burning the clothes? That's oh like God. you throw the clothes in a pile, you burn them. Yeah. But cutting them up, can you? She just sat there and what? meticulously, like totally. angrily, chopped his clothing up. Because whether you're using scissors or you're like slashing at them with a knife, it's gonna be slow. Going. It's effort. And people have a lot of clothes. Yeah. Oh like my God. she, she took her time. Like she really did. And um, he was right to be afraid because she asked around town, but no one would tell her where he had gone. No one heard from David until a few months later when he went to visit his daughter. At this point, he was shocked to find out that Catherine had gone to the police about him and that she told them that she was afraid of him. She even filed an apprehended violence order against him. An AVO is an order made by a court against a person, such as a current partner, who makes you fear for your safety. This is to protect you from further violence, intimidation, or harassment. And Catherine apparently was the one who finally ended the relationship. She completely trashed his car, and then she attempted to overdose on sleeping pills. Once again, she was sent to a psychiatric hospital. This is the only time that a guy is ever allowed to say, like, oh yeah, my ex was crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Catherine returned to the outside world once again in May of 1990. She soon met a man named John Chillingworth, who was a 43-year-old former slaughterhouse worker. A year later, she gave birth to a son who she named Eric. The relationship would only last three years. It ended due to an affair that Catherine had begun to have with a man named John Price. Remember when we talked about baby names that 
sound weird to be the names of a baby. Mm. Eric. Eric is definitely up there. Eric the baby. I don't think I've ever known a baby Eric, but I have known full-grown men. <laughs> Eric is 25. He works in an office. He wears a tie. For sure. And he likes to get drunk with his bros every weekend. <laughs> Eric is not a baby. Eric is not. Eric pays taxes. <laughs> John Price was born on April 4th, 1955. The people who knew him described him as a terrific bloke. He made great money working in the mines, and overall, he was a very liked and well-respected guy. He took a lot of pride in his work. He had been employed with the same company for 17 years and absolutely loved his job. John Price, or Pricey, as he was known to his friends, met Catherine, and the two had begun to have an affair. John's own marriage had ended a few years prior, and his youngest daughter had stayed with her mother. John's two older children lived with him, and Catherine moved in in 1995, despite the fact that John was well aware of her violent reputation. He was from the same town as her, and everyone knew her and her family. The two met at a bar, and John was someone who was a drinker. Catherine didn't really start drinking regularly until she met him, and by all accounts, during the start of the relationship, she actually relaxed a little bit. Which is a huge pattern for her. Yes. She meets these guys, she woos them with how fun she is and how much she likes sex, the relationship moves very quickly, and then the real Catherine comes out. John was absolutely smitten with her, but his kids were pretty worried. Catherine's overall behavior was pretty bizarre. She told a lot of strange stories and would often talk about how she was convinced that aliens abducted her. Also, the knives. Yeah, I'm thinking the knives didn't probably, you know, help a no, whole lot. not and a stepmom you want. No, and let me just say, again, I quite also like knives myself. Like, sure. I have a small collection. I grew up in the country and, like, trail riding with horses, and I've pretty much always carried one with me since I was, like... I don't know, 13, for practical reasons. But, like, I don't flaunt them around and hang them up on the walls of my house. Not to mention that she talked to them a lot about how, like, the ghost of her uncle visited her often and that this had been happening to her since his death. So John originally described the relationship by saying, Life was a bunch of roses. But once again, the joy and love wouldn't last long. She didn't stop drinking. Needless to say, Catherine Knight was not a happy drunk. What Catherine did next seems really small compared to what she would eventually do, but the level of cruelty displayed here really showcases what kind of a person Catherine really is. We mentioned before that Catherine, when she was younger, really wanted to get married and have kids by a certain time in her life. Now, she was older, and while she didn't want any more kids, she desperately wanted to be a wife. This was something that the couple would fight about regularly. Like we mentioned, John's marriage had only ended a few years prior, and Catherine had just left the father of one of her children for him. John really didn't want to get married to Catherine. He loved her, but he had no desire to enter into another marriage again. He was actually still friends with his ex-wife, and he really still cared about her. Either way, Catherine still stole money from him and bought herself an engagement ring. John was fine with her keeping the ring, but he maintained that he still didn't want to marry her. At this point, she was already physically abusive to him, and she'd already began to tell stories about he was the one hitting her, which was absolutely not the case. Even after he was killed, John's ex-wife maintained that she absolutely did not believe that John would ever be abusive to her. As we've seen quite a few times with Catherine already, she did not handle rejection well at all. This time was absolutely no exception. Catherine really wanted to hit him where it hurt. We mentioned before that John had a really good job. He not only made a lot of money, but he really enjoyed what he did, and he was really proud of the fact that he had worked with the same company for so long. He was well-liked by both of his employees and higher-ups. 
Overall, he was a really good worker. But that didn't matter to Catherine. She was mad at John, and she wanted him to hurt. So many miserable people think that causing more misery is gonna fill that void in them, but all it does is make things worse. Catherine knew that John had taken some items from work. She sent a videotape that she had filmed showing that the items were in their house, and she sent them to his boss, who immediately fired him. And he also lost his pension over this. The worst part about this was the items that he had taken were just some expired first aid kits that he had dug out of the trash to salvage. It was horrible. That like, was just, oh. like, and it was a six-figure income oh, as well, well during this time, which just means so yeah, much more. Yeah, and but... he's been with the same mining company for, what was it, 17 years yep. or whatever. Like, oh, man, what a petty bitch. Yeah, seriously, like, like she is oh. just, this, it just gets worse and worse and worse, and she is awful. Absolutely terrible. John was devastated, and rightfully so. He was so angry that he actually kicked Catherine out of the house, and everyone in town found out about what happened. Eventually, though, like before, Catherine convinced him to take her back. And she always did it the exact same way. She would show up in lingerie or something, and he would always end up forgiving her. But the fighting got worse, and the violence continued to escalate, all while Catherine continued to tell her family that John was the one abusing her, and they continued to believe it. John's friends, on the other hand, were horrified for him. They warned him against going back to her, and he actually lost a lot of his friends over this. They continued to warn him about her, but he was too enamored with her to listen. She was violent towards him. She has caused a separation between him and his friends. She continuously lies about being abused, and, and these are confirmed to be lies. She was not honest with anyone about what was going on. His friends would literally see him with bruises and marks all over him. At this point, she's threatened to kill him numerous times, but John was still unable to leave. She's just absolutely horrifying. Absolute monster. And, not only all that, the cruelty towards his children was horrible. On one occasion, John Price had arranged for a bouncy castle to be set up for his kids and their friends. Catherine got incredibly intoxicated and began to berate his children and accuse them of sexually assaulting her own kids. She did this kind of thing on a regular basis. She would accuse people of this every now and again. It would almost always result in her either beating someone up or coming close to it. And I just have to say, it takes a very special kind of person to ruin a bouncy castle. What you would imagine that it's probably some kid's birthday party. It was. Yeah, they were so happy. Like... They were having a blast and she just got wasted and started screaming at them. Oh my god. They threatened to call the police if Catherine didn't leave. John's daughter actually stood up to her at this point and even threatened to break a plate over her head. Good for her. Honestly. Not, now Catherine was not only angry at John, she was angry at his children. So Catherine appeared to have calmed down and she left. The police were not called. However, her anger grew and she began to beat John on a pretty regular basis. His co-workers were seeing this happen and they even reported that a few months before the murder, John showed up at work with a stab wound in his chest. Jesus. John would tell him that he hurt himself by accident or that he crashed his car and they kind of just left it at that. This is, like, I want to imagine, like, flip it the other way around and, like, imagine that it's the man abusing the woman no one would stand for this. The police would be called, hopefully, like, stab wounds, not just bruises. Full-on stab wounds. Like, multiple uh, stab wounds on multiple job. occasions. Like, it's, honestly, it's it's heartbreaking what this man went through. And it's, again, it's going to get worse. But just, like, everything leading up to it, yes. you just, you feel so bad for him. Because he was trapped. Oh, absolutely. He, he couldn't absolutely. leave. He, he was horrified. 
And this next little tidbit is absolutely real. Catherine made a voodoo doll of John, which included both his hair and his semen. Yep. And how did she get the semen? I don't even want to let my mind go there. In the time leading up to the murder, Catherine would continue to make threats against John and his kids to both him and her own family. She openly talked about how she had plans to kill him and get away with it by pleading insanity. She said this to so many different people too. Guys, let me make this abundantly clear. When people tell you who they are and then show you who they really are, believe them and then get the hell out of Dodge. It might save your life. Yeah. Well, one day Catherine stabbed John and she injured him pretty badly. At this point, he finally had enough. He broke things off with her again and he told her to leave. And she calmly said she would. If he gave her his house or a check for $10,000. She wanted his house really badly. She had talked to him before about him leaving it to her if he died, but he refused. The house was where he had lived with his ex before they broke up, and it meant a lot to him. Plus, he fully intended to leave the house to his children. And we want to clarify something. She didn't partially own this house. She didn't even live in this house. But she stood there and demanded his actual home in exchange for her leaving him. John completely refused. He ended up going to the courts where he attempted to get a restraining order against her. However, he was told it would take three weeks for him to get one. John spoke with his friends about this. When he told them about the restraining order, they told him not to go back to the house because they were worried she would be there. At this point, it was more than clear that John was in danger. And it just, it makes me really sad to think, like, if the system was different and he was able to get the restraining order, like, would it have changed the outcome? It's insane because, I mean, like, three weeks, so much can happen oh, in this. Three yeah. weeks is, is so long. It is. It it really is. Catherine stayed home for about two days just stewing and planning. Her anger at this point was at an all-time high. She was angry at John, angry at his kids. In fact, she was pretty well angry with anyone who had stood in her way in any shape or form. And here's something heartbreaking to consider. John knew he was in danger, too. But he couldn't leave. Leaving an abusive partner is incredibly difficult. And if you aren't aware, the most dangerous period of time in a relationship that's abusive is when the victim finally leaves. Yep, so true. John even went as far as to tell his friends the day before he was killed that if he missed work the following morning, it would be because she had finally killed him. On February 29th, 2000, John Price arrived back at his home. He was relieved to see that Catherine was not there. He really didn't want to go back to the house, but he was worried that she would hurt his kids because she was so angry with him. She had visited earlier that day when she knew he was at work. She spent some time with his daughters and then sent them away to spend the evening at a sleepover. Catherine then left to go get a few things, including some lacy black lingerie. She also went to visit a friend who she spoke to about John. She told her that he had abused her recently and basically just blamed him for everything that had happened. So John was pretty upset at this point. The two weren't together and there was no reason for her to be speaking to his kids, let alone sending them off for a sleepover. It was not her job to make decisions regarding his children. He decided that he would wait until she came back and he would speak to her about everything then. He sat down in the living room with a bottle of beer and he waited for her. As the night went on, Catherine didn't show up, so John went to bed and fell asleep. About an hour later, Catherine arrived and saw that he was asleep. She watched TV for a little bit and then had a shower. Catherine put on her lingerie and she went to wake up John. So fun fact, she was uh, apparently watching Star Trek as she was waiting. She also purchased her lingerie from a thrift store. Okay, 
I, I love to thrift. I, I absolutely <laughs> love to thrift. But I honestly don't think you could pay me to wear a used piece of lingerie. Sorry. Likewise, I would rather go commando than wear used underwear. John, upon seeing this, decided Ugh. that maybe he should give her one more chance, and Ugh. the two had sex. John! No! No. John left to go use the washroom while Catherine waited. She completely believed that he was using her at this point and that he would never marry her because all he wanted to do was to continue to take advantage of her. So at this point, her anger's at an all-time high. And before we get further into this, we want to talk about something else that Catherine did that was incredibly bizarre. At this point, Catherine's daughter Natasha was grown up, and she had kids. Catherine had visited them prior to this, where she made a videotape with the kids. Many people have viewed this tape as a kind of will that Catherine made. Apparently, Catherine loved to make home movies. It was a huge passion of hers, and she loved to record her family. In the tape she made on this day, she attempts to breastfeed her grandchildren while singing made-up nursery rhymes. And she called them, and I swear this oh, is real no. again, <laughs> titty bops. I don't don't like any part of that. Mm -mm, mm -mm, oh, mm -mm. God. At this point safe to say she's completely unhinged and like you're you've been with us for this journey so far that's a lot to say for Catherine mm -hmm. in the tape the kids eventually leave and it cuts to Catherine alone she stares into the camera and says I love all of my children and I really hope to see them all apparently she was acting really sweet and loving to her grandkids that day and was very affectionate this was not normal for her whatsoever. Her kids knew she had the ability to be violent, and she had abused them too. She then asked her daughter if she would babysit for her, which she agreed to. Back to that night, though. John Price exited the bathroom, and when he entered the bedroom, Catherine took out a boning knife and stabbed him in the chest. She just barely missed his heart. John Price attempted to pass her, but she continued to stab him over and over again. He knocked her over and she landed on the floor. At this point, he was in complete shock and continued to run throughout the house. I think this is a good time for just a little friendly heads up to all of you, I guess. Yep. Yeah, just, uh, yep. I'm, I'm sure if you're, if you've gotten this far, you know things are going to get bad, but it's, we're, it is our duty to warn you. Absolutely. And the scary thing here is that it's late. It's dark. This is his house, but he can't really see anything and he's desperately trying to escape her. He made it to the front door and managed to open it, but Catherine was much bigger and much stronger than he was. She stabbed him again and then grabbed him by the legs, pulled him in, and closed the door. If you're picturing this like I am, this is some horror movie level shit. We've all seen it where you think the victim is going to escape to safety and then they're yanked back into the lair of the killer. She continued to stab him until he collapsed onto the floor. By the time he was dead, John Price had been stabbed 37 times. The heartbreaking thing is that John bore absolutely no defensive wounds. He did not try to fight off his attacker. She was huge. Please remember that. She had something like seven inches in height on him. Not to mention that she was freakishly strong to begin with, and the adrenaline made her so much worse. Once John was dead, Catherine had another shower to clean all of the blood off of her. And it was so much blood. 37 stab wounds is an insane amount, and this poor man basically bled out all over the house. Yeah, she she would have hit some vital, vital arteries and oh, veins yeah. for sure. Once she was out of the shower, she stole John's debit card and drove to a nearby town where she took out $1,000. She then returned to his house. Catherine then got out of all of her clothing, so she stripped, just buck-ass naked. She went to get her knives, and she set them up in the living room. 
She Ugh. dragged his body across the living room floor and to where she had prepared her workstation. Guys, like, now's your final chance to get off the bus. Last morning. It's gonna get real gnarly. Catherine grabbed a six-inch knife and began to skin John Price. She made one cut from his shoulders to his pubic area and down his legs. She made more cuts across other parts of his body and his head. When she was finished, she peeled the skin off of John's corpse. She then hung the skin from a hook that she had put up in the kitchen. Catherine's skills with her knives allowed her to actually remove the skin in pretty well just one piece, which is horrifying. When the skin was actually discovered, it was noted that you could still make out his face. I don't like it. I don't like nope. that at she all. She fully displayed the skin, and she made sure to put it somewhere that it would be seen. Leatherface ain't got nothing on Catherine Knight. Nope. She then went back to his body, and she cut through his neck. She removed his head and brought it into the kitchen. She put his head into a giant soup pot with some vegetables and spices and turned the heat on. She then returned to his body, removed a large piece of his buttocks, and began to cook it in the oven. She then prepared various vegetables and made a gravy. While everything was cooking, she set the table. She even made two place cards that she put in front of the plated meals. The cards had the names of both of John's children on them. She wanted to serve them their own father. She then went back to what remained of his corpse and sat him up in his favorite armchair. She positioned his body with his legs crossed and his arm up. She then made herself a pot of coffee, smoked a cigarette, and attempted to overdose in the living room. To this day, she still maintains that she does not remember anything that happened during that night. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. To skillfully butcher a human being like she did, she would have had to have been in full control of her faculties, not to mention preparing him for dinner. And you have to remember, she told everyone. Yes. She was. She didn't say, I'm going to skin him and eat him and this and that. No, to but be she fair. told literally anyone who would listen to her for five seconds that she was going to kill him. Like... Can't we just all get along, no. Catherine? No, oh Catherine. God. John's neighbor noticed that his vehicle was still there. John usually left for work before him, and the neighbor noted that this was strange. When John didn't arrive at work that day, his employer sent someone to check on him because they thought he may have overslept. Can you imagine? The boss has just been like, hey, go, go to Pricey's house. Knowing that the day before, he was like, if I don't show up to work in the morning... She's killed me. And they said they thought that he overslept, but, like, I'm sure in the back of their minds, they were like, oh, my God. Absolutely. The neighbor and the employee both could not get an answer from John, and they began to look around the property. They noticed a bloody handprint on the side of the door, which prompted them to call the police. The police showed up at the house around 8 a.m. They knocked on the front door, but there was no answer. One of the officers peeked through the mail slot, but all that he saw was what he thought was a curtain hanging in the doorway. They then went around back where they noticed a plate of food had been thrown out the window. They then broke down the back door to get in. At first, nothing seemed strange until they got to the living room. There was so much blood, seriously. As with most of the cases that we covered, there are photos. Just trust us when we say that this man met his end in an incredibly violent and terrible way. 
the police officers on the scene were never the same again. One of them never returned to police work, while another actually never ate meat again. The majority of them have not slept a good night since. And who could blame them? Even the most hardened homicide detective would be traumatized by this scene. They found John Price's head still cooking as well. They investigated further and found the rest of his remains and made the shocking discovery that she had skinned him and hung him to dry. They eventually found Catherine, who was still passed out, and they arrested her. Catherine Knight was clearly guilty and everyone knew it. The question was how to punish someone this evil. She originally pled guilty to a lesser charge of manslaughter, which they quickly rejected. She then pled not guilty to the murder and they went to trial. The judge, Justice Barry O'Keefe, offered the potential jury members the option to not be a part of the trial due to the graphic nature of it and because the photos from the crime scene would have had to be looked at. They actually had a really hard time securing a jury for her. A lot of potential jury members dropped out, and the majority of people who stuck around had a very difficult time handling the very violent nature of this case. Luckily for the potential jurors, Catherine never had to stand in front of a jury. She pled guilty, and they were all dismissed. Catherine had seen a psychiatrist the day before to confirm that she was mentally fit enough to understand what it meant to plead guilty. Her lawyers had wanted to defend her by claiming that she had amnesia when the murders happened. We want to remind you that while she did plead guilty, she maintains that she has no idea what happened that night and that she has no memory of the murder. It was reported that before she pled guilty, she had to listen to a doctor describe the murder and what was done to John's body. She became so hysterical they had to sedate her. Catherine has never accepted even the tiniest amount of responsibility and probably never will. Justice O'Keefe understood that this was a very unique case and that Catherine Knight was an incredibly dangerous human being. There was no doubt in his mind that Catherine would kill again if she was released. And because of this, Catherine Knight made Australian history by becoming the first woman who has been sentenced to life in prison with absolutely zero chance of release. Justice O'Keefe marked her file with a huge never-to-be-released label. He also stated, The last minutes of his life must have been a time for abject terror for him as they were a time of utter enjoyment for her. She has not expressed any contrition or remorse, and if released, she poses a serious threat to the security of society. Wow. So she was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this, and then what? They like, actually, What was her plan? They never found out why she pled guilty. She's never talked about that. She's never said, because, like, manslaughter, for those of you who don't know, basically means, like, it you was have, an accident. you killed someone accidentally, exactly. First-degree murder is you killed them because and you, you planned, planned it, it. that yeah. was everything went according to plan and she again told everyone Everybody. yeah like everyone that she Literally. was gonna do this but Catherine Knight has since attempted to appeal her sentence. In 2006 she filed an appeal under the claim that her sentence was too severe. This was promptly rejected. One of the judges who was responsible for the rejection stated this was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. He isn't wrong. He was basically like, uh, no. hell no. No. Did I stutter the first time, Absolutely Catherine? Absolutely not. Oh my god. And Catherine Knight will spend the rest of her life in jail. And while we wish we could say that she's miserable there, that is unfortunately not the case. 
Nowadays, Catherine is 66 years old and is incarcerated at the Mulawa Women's Correctional Center, where she has been employed as a cleaner and also works in their headphone factory. She is beloved by other inmates who affectionately call her Nana, Ugh. and she is known for her conflict resolution and ability to find vi- non-violent solutions to problems. She also helps out by planning events for the inmates. Can you imagine? Like, what? But apparently she's never been violent towards anybody while she's been in prison. Now, is that because she doesn't want to or because she doesn't have to? Despite her being Nana, everyone is absolutely horrified by her. They do what she wants, when she wants, and she absolutely rules the roost. And what's interesting is that it sounds like she didn't have that period of time where, like, she showed up in jail and everything was terrible. Like, Mm. she walked in and they were like, you're the boss now. I mean, I wonder if for a lot of the other inmates, because it isn't, I believe, an all... Yeah, it's the Women's Correctional Center. So I wonder if a lot of the women didn't fully hear the details and they're like, oh, yeah, like, she killed her husband. Like, girl power. Like, I, I don't know. No, they knew. They knew. Like, they, oh, okay. it, it was well known that she was, like, scary-ass Catherine So Knight. they were like, let's just not mess with this. The inmates were like, you get what you want. And then the guards were basically like, we have to do all this extra stuff, which we'll talk about right away, to make sure that she was basically kept... Happy? I don't know how else to word it. Uh, (laughs) The inmates don't mess with her at all. And she's also the only person in the prison who does not share her cell with anyone due to the fact that officers are worried that she will kill anyone that she lives with. She's also not allowed to be in the presence of knives. Her family no longer speaks to her. Catherine has said that she has never been as happy as she has been in prison, and it seems like, unfortunately, her story has her own version of a happy ending for her. Which, like, how ass-backwards is that? That's awful. Not a happy ending, no. She's basically found herself in a controlled environment where she possesses a lot of that control, and pretty much that's all she ever wanted in life. She's truly one of the most violent people, and we discussed Pee Wee Gaskin. She's horrible. But this woman is the most violent we've ever discussed. And that's that. That's the story of Catherine Knight. Quite possibly one of the most evil women we have spoken about yet. And Charlotte, here is the serious question. <laughs> Who would win in a fight? Catherine Knight or Pee Wee Gaskins? Uh, that would be a match made in hell. I don't even know if they'd actually fight. They'd probably like love each other and be best buds. But in this hypothetical situation, she'd kick the shit out of him. Pee Wee would not stand a chance. <laughs> He's a small man and that's how she likes him. Well, she she's 6'1 and he was 5'3". Or so, what was he even five three something like that five three or five four I think yeah 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 match made in hell let me tell you I guess he was her type that's he horrific genuinely well but maybe not though because Pee Wee would stand up for himself and she probably that's wouldn't a good like po- that oh this is this is turning into a whole theory would Catherine Knight and Pee Wee Gaskins work I don't think they would have no because I think she liked her men totally and completely obsessed with her. Yeah. And I think he would have been like, ew, no. No, he didn't like to stick around. I I think, honestly, she liked people in her life that didn't say no to her. She didn't handle no. And And Pee-wee would have dodged after their first kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what Pee-wee did. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then she would have been heartbroken. It would have been a whole thing. Yeah, no. Alternate reality. 
Oh, I don't like, no, that's no. not one, that's not the universe Doctor Strange wants to be in. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, everyone, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. To everyone watching on YouTube, please make sure you are subscribed and leave us a like and comment. To those of you listening elsewhere, please rate us where you can. It really means a lot. We are still new at this. We are. And it helps us grow. So share the podcast too. Tell your friends. Please and thank Tell you. Tell your mom. Tell your dog. Scream it from the windows. We don't care. <laughs> Make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. You can also find us on social media. I am Dina V on Twitch, Dina V IG on Instagram, and Dina V tweets on Twitter. And I'm Ominous underscore Walrus on Twitter and Ominous Walrus on Instagram. Join us every Saturday for a new episode. And we also do a live premiere on YouTube at 12 p.m. MST on Saturdays. So come hang out with us and discuss the case in real time. We love to know your thoughts and we would especially like to know what you thought about Catherine Knight. Because I'm sure you got to have thoughts about Catherine. Oh, yeah. But all that said, thanks so much for listening, you guys. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum.